14. Remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near, it is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's uh, good to be among you this morning as we uh, turn again to God's Word. Uh, the reading from the New Testament is Luke chapter 1. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. It's also on the screens behind me. And we'll read this and then walk through it together. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many people uh, of, the, of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which come true at their appointed time, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering 
uh, why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And the Lord, uh, and the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father, how badly we need your word in our lives. We wish to be a people who, whose lives and everything are centered around your word and the living word, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, will you open our ears, open our minds to hear what you have to say to us this morning, and hearing it, may we respond in ways that are pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Dating myself here, but up until a few months ago, if you were to turn on a radio frequency, hands up if you listen to the radio, don't put your hands up. Dating myself here, but a few months ago, if you were to put on a radio frequency, that thing in your car that you turn on and there's different you know, numbers on the FM dial, you would have heard uh, at around 1 o'clock uh, every day, you would have heard a thing saying, uh, and now, uh, at, followed by, what was the phrase was, uh, followed by, after the three uh, dots or the three beeps, you will hear a long beep, and at the end of that long beep, it will be exactly 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> Something like that was said. That, that exact timing of that long beep that went across radio frequencies everywhere in Canada for like 80 years uh, was set, uh, and still, and that time is still set to a group of uh, cesium atoms uh, that are kept around the world in about 400 different locations, different laboratories, and they're cooled to about absolute zero. And these atoms, how they resonate and the frequency in which they still move at a very cold uh, kind of temperature uh, is measured by scientists around the world. And these scientists share, uh, they share their findings and the, the numbers that they're recording and writing down and how fast these atoms are vibrating. And they uh, decide together, uh, all the, every, uh, in constant communication, what the atomic, the international atomic time is. And all of us in our own uh, phones and watches and clocks at home follow uh, this vibration of cesium atoms uh, and the atomic international time uh, for what we now have is called this universal coordinated time. Do you know that? That every time you look at your watch, you're looking at a bunch of atoms that scientists measure to the exact micromillisecond. Well, the series that Pastor Bill opened last Sunday is called this, God is Always Right on Time. And it's a series I hope that as we lead up to Christmas, we'll find that uh, the time of God and the working of God as revealed in Scripture is, is very different to the time that you and I keep and the way you and I see time. 
And the way our world sees time as coordinated and detailed and exact and precise as it is. In fact, you'll see if you read about universal coordinated time, it claims to be the principal realization of terrestrial time. And I hope in these few weeks we can just talk about and learn about from God's word what God's time is all about and how God works uh, his plans and his purposes in our life and in our world. So we'll look this morning at uh, God is always right on time, and this morning is to accomplish his plans. And we'll look at this in four sections together. Uh, God's plan unfolds in ordinary time. God's plan unfolds in religious time. God's plan unfolds in heaven's time. And God's plan unfolds in his time. So we'll go to verse 5 and we'll look at the very first point. God's plan unfolds in ordinary time. Luke, uh, among all the gospel writers about the Christmas story, is very interested in making sure that we see the story of Christmas planted right in the very middle of ordinary, secular, regular history, as we may think of it. In verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah. Herod is established by uh, scholars and historians all over that He was a ruler in that time. He was commissioned by Mark Antony in the year 40 B.C., and his reign ended around 5 B.C., uh, 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 around that time. His reign is almost over. His reign is now coming to an end, just after the birth of Jesus. And he was a vindictive kind of cruel ruler. He was very capable. He was, he was known to be quite ruthless. He was not kind to his own family. And people were afraid of the deception and destruction that he brought. And we see in Matthew chapter 2 that Herod comes across as a very cruel ruler calling for the slaughter of the innocents. If you remember that story, that is Herod. But He is here at the beginning. The story begins in a a very historically recognized time, the time of King Herod of Judea. And then we learn two other people enter this story. The first one is Zechariah. And we learn that he is a priest in the priestly division of Abijah, that his wife uh, is also, in a sense, uh, in the priestly world. Uh, She is a descendant of Aaron, You have a very priestly couple, one serving as a priest, one is married kind of the daughter of a priest, they're into that family. And both of them are seen at the beginning of this story as uh, righteous. They are priestly and they are righteous. They're blameless. They're doing all the right things. They're following all the commands of God. They're following all the decrees of the Lord blamelessly. And for Herod, who is ruling as king uh, quite powerfully, and for Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are living their lives well and blamelessly before God, uh, it's a strange, we, we, a strange kind of thing happens to them in their ordinary, regular, historical lives. Now notice at the end of uh, verse 7, we learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth, we learn this, that they were childless, that they are priestly, they are righteous and blameless, but also they 
are childless. And so we begin to see in this story at the very beginning of Luke's account of the coming of Jesus, when, when the story puts towards the fronters, front and center kind of stage in the Bible, a couple who is childless in that moment, when a childless couple is put front and center in an ordinary kind of situation, it, it's a clue for us to realize that God is about to do something. God is about to perform something. We see in the story of Abraham and Sarah, who were childless and waiting, that God did a whole work in their lives and for God's people. We see in the story of Naomi and Ruth, uh, there they were foreigners, not sure of their future, and God does a thing in the life of Ruth and Naomi's family. There's Hannah praying to God about her family and her future in Judges. And so we see at this story, in the beginning of this story, that it's an ordinary kind of situation. Problems and difficulties and trials that, that we all may face in different ways in our ordinary kind of circumstances of life. And we're meant to clue in that God is about to do something. And the clue that we get from these verses about God's timing and God's plan and how it's going to unfold is that we see here a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are experiencing in their own kind of regular life some level of ostracization, some level of stress, some level of feeling, are they judged by God because they are not having children? Are, are people saying things about them? Is there a social kind of pressure around inadequacy that is around them in that ancient time, which is most likely very true? And it's in this context of a couple who may be feeling rejected in a way by others, turned away in a sense by God, it's in the context of this couple that we see that God in his time will send the one who himself will be despised, who himself will be turned away by the world. And we see in this beginning of the story that God's plans and timing is powerful and is meant to be an encouragement to us. And just by the way, as, as a way of an ad, while I have your attention, uh, there is a group at, at Blessings and, and Mercy Church down the road who, who deals and offers support to couples who may be experiencing uh, a similar situation to Zechariah and Elizabeth. I hope you'll make use of that. But I hope we'll see that God is at work in their ordinary and their difficult circumstance. Well, we see secondly in these verses that God's plan unfolds in religious time. God's plan unfolds in religious time. Uh, and we turn now to this temple setting in verse 8. And it says once in verse 8, you'll see in your Bibles, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot according to a custom. What is happening here? Well, we're changing scenes now. Zechariah is a priest. There were about 18,000 different priests serving in Jerusalem at that time by rotation. And they would serve for two weeks every year. 
And there would be every day in the temple two times when a sacrifice was made. And we see Zechariah here coming to the very high point of his religious career as a priest, don't we? Uh, it may not be the case that every priest in their whole lifetime gets any chance to go into the temple and to light uh, the incense and burn incense on the altar of the Lord. But here, uh, somehow, we are getting a window, just a little window as we enter this story, into a once-in-a-lifetime moment for Zechariah as a priest of God. A moment that, that, that he might never have thought he could have received as a priest of God. That he is going to be the one who's going to be able to walk into the temple and burn this incense. And if you can picture it, uh, the priest who is chosen by Lot walks into the temple. He would have an assistant on one side and an assistant on the other side. And they would be carrying the coals from an offering that was previously made. And those coals would be hot. And the three of them would walk into uh, the temple place where this uh, religious situation was going to happen. And, uh, and they would pour these coals out to be, to be laid out, the assistants would. And in Zechariah's hands would be incense to be burned. And those two assistant priests would leave him alone there in order to burn that incense and you would have people outside waiting for this special moment to occur, praying. Remember, they'd sometimes be listening for a bell to make sure that all went well. And at the end, usually what would happen is the priest would, would do this act inside and then come out and he would say the, the, the blessing to the people, the rich, historic, ancient blessing to the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. What, a, what an opportunity for Zechariah to be that guy. Once in a lifetime, by God's grace, he has this chance. And we can picture Zechariah in this religious moment throwing the incense onto the warm coals and the smoke rising High and him, him praying for the salvation of Israel, him praying to the Lord as God, the one to whom he's dedicated his life, praying for the people around him, praying for God's coming Messiah and salvation. And it's in this religious moment <laughs> that we see that God's plan for humanity and the world is going to unfold. A moment where a priest is, is right by the altar, a place where sin is, sacrifice for sin is made, where, where, where the religious story of God's people is, is played out and is given meaning, where people are given hope, where, where sins are, are seen as forgiven, are forgiven in the old system. And it's a, it's a clue to us as we're understanding this story that God is about to do something big in the purposes of his redemption. He's going to do something around sin and salvation in his plan and in his time. And just when things couldn't get any more dramatic, Zechariah standing there, the incense rising up, 
him ready to go out and bless God's people with a once-in-a-lifetime blessing from God, from the Lord God. We see that God's plan unfolds in verse 11, in heaven's time. God's plan unfolds in ordinary time. God's plan unfolds in religious time. And we see in verse 11, God's plan unfolds in heaven's time. Just when it couldn't get any more kind of intense for Zechariah, an angel of the Lord appears to him in that moment, standing right beside the altar of incense. And Zechariah sees him, and, and, and like so many in the Bible are, are afraid of this angel. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. The angel comes with, with an encounter for Zechariah in this moment. Y- your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son. What is Zechariah's prayer as he hears that word from the angel, don't be afraid? Is his prayer, please give us a, a child, please give us a child, please give us a child? I don't think that's his only prayer by the altar. He's standing there as the priest of God. He's praying for God's people. He's praying for the salvation of God's people. He's praying for the, pl- the plan of redemption to be made known to God's people and for them who are called to be a light to the nations, for that promise to be lived out, for God's great promises from the Old Testament to be seen, for the Messiah to come, for all the world to see the light of Christ. He is the priest of God standing, praying that God's purposes would be made known, that God's plan would come for his people, the people that he's representing before God. An angel comes to him in this moment of deep prayer, yes, for his family, but also for the family of God and for the people of God. And the angel wants to say to Zechariah, look, the uh, work that you're doing, your prayer has been heard. And the angel outlines this strange character who's going to come before Jesus, before the Messiah, and, 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 and prepare the way for God's people. And we learn some things about God's plan as it unfolds here in heaven's time about, about what he is going to do before Jesus is born. And we hear about this son called John. And we learn a few things about him. We learn first that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, just picture for a minute John the Baptist, what we know about John the Baptist. He was out there and he was uh, wearing camel hair and he was eating locusts and he was kind of living in the, in the countryside. Um, do you see in your mind John the Baptist as great? <laughs> If you were to meet John the Baptist today uh, down by Jackson Square and, I don't know, they were wearing a, a coat that they uh, found somewhere or so they're given to them if they, I don't know, what would you, if he was, had a, you know, a, a, you know, a McDonald's uh, Coke in one hand, a milkshake in the other, I'm making this up in the city. Um, if, he was, if he was out there talking to people loudly about God, <laughs> would you see him as great? Met somebody like that? Man, as we, as we see John come, uh, the people around him, a lot of them don't see John as great in God's sight. They see him as a little weird. We see him, they see him as a little strange. An outsider, an outcast down there saying weird things about a living God who's calling us to do something. Great in the sight of the Lord. What's he talking about? John's great in the sight of the Lord in the sense that he comes in great humility. 
to do God's will, to serve God's plan. We learn that he'll be, he'll be great, but also he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in the Old Testament times, we know that God's people were filled for specific reasons with the Holy Spirit to do and say certain things. Uh, and here it's the Holy Spirit of God uh, who will give John power and strength to speak in the, in, in the words that he will say. He'll be dedicated, set aside to God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that he'll actually speak and work in the spirit and power of Elijah, which means that John, as he prepares for the Messiah, is going to speak with boldness to the human heart. He's going to speak with power, Right? Elijah, uh, was, his mantle was passed from Elisha, and the, and the work that we see Elisha, Eli, Elijah doing is a, is a work of great boldness of proclaiming who God is, when many people were kind of against them, and he, he, saw, he, saw, he saw a culture and a time coming against them. He spoke very boldly into all of this. And, and, and the plan of God in John, and the plan of God for, for us, I think, today as we look at this passage and God's plan unfolding in heaven's time, the work of John and the work we need to hear, I think, this morning is, is, is that John will speak boldly and in great ways before the Lord about people being turned back to their God. And we see that in verse, in verse 16. He will bring back many people to the Lord their God. And we see the turning or the bringing back again in verse 17 to turn the hearts of the parents of their children, the disobedient, the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's a message John has that is trying to speak to people's hearts and lives. Remember that he's in a situation where so many of Israel's ancestors had turned away from God, had, had forgotten God in a way, Right? They had, they had walked away from God. They, they found themselves lost in a, a measure of religiosity that was very, very outward focused. And the state of the heart, the intention where someone was looking in their own lives to the living God to redeem, restore, and give them life and vivify them, that was becoming lost among God's people. And John, the strange one in, in camel hair and locust and speaking boldly in the name of Elijah, was going to say, God is interested in your hearts. God wants to know the state of your inner life. God is interested with your prayer life. God is interested with how you're reading Scripture. God is interested with how you are interacting with him on the daily levels of life in our families and in our situations and before him. God wants inside us. God wants to transform us. And I want to say here that at the end of these verses, it says that John's going to be speaking about turning the hearts of parents to their children. And a lot has been written about this, which I'm not going to get into this morning. But the word for that is, is really a family word. It's, uh, it can be taken in some cases as ancestors, emphasizing that Israel's ancestors have turned away. But really in Greek, it's the word fathers, which ties in directly to the work in Malachi that John the Baptist is going to do. As we read in Malachi how many 
marriages in Malachi are falling apart, as God's people leave God's ways between the testaments of old and new, Malachi is that last prophet standing there so troubled, seeing in a way the the outcome of what it means to leave God's ways. He's, he's He's seeing marriages break down. He's seeing fathers and mothers becoming enemies. And Malachi's heart is breaking, and Malachi in chapter 3 is pointing to a John whose whose message from God is not going to be just up in the clouds somewhere, ethereal, but it's going to be on the ground for you and and for me. It's It's going to matter in our very household situations. Colossians 3 speaks about fathers and how the fathers act to their children and the power that has on the soul and the heart of a child, not embittering a child. You know, the Gospel of Luke is very strangely interested in children and fatherhood and families And we can apply this to the family of God. We can apply this to our extended families. We can apply this to our own families today, depending on which situation in which you find yourself living. But John is wanting us to see, I think even more, (laughs) that Israel has, that we have God as our Father, who's not cruel, who's not out for hostility. But in the Gospel of Luke, you have that one story of a father of all the Gospels, the story of the father who loves his son, who leaves and wanders and brings him him home. Hey, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but you know this Advent, how are you, how are we, how am I? hardening my heart to the things of God? How, how, how am I hardening my life within the family of God, within my own family? Hey, if you're a father today, how's that going? I pray you'll be encouraged. I pray all of us will be encouraged to know the fatherly love of God. This seems to be core to the plan of God for John. Well, Zechariah uh, responds. <laughs> what does Zechariah say? Well, he responds. He says, uh, in all this, the heavens come down to Zechariah. Remember where he is? He's still in the temple. He's still making this once-in-a-lifetime sacrifice. And Zechariah says, angel, how can I be sure of this? Hey, I'm an old man, uh, and my wife is uh, well along in years. What's Zechariah? How is he responding to this? This plan that God is going to, this desire of God. He's responding with what? How can I be sure? I want to be sure, Lord. Are you sure? God, are you, are you sure, Gabriel, this is what God is going to do, what God wants? I don't really actually believe what, what you're saying. I don't, I don't believe it. Uh, there's a spirit in a way of kind of resistance within Zechariah, isn't there there? There's a sense in Zechariah's response, unlike Mary's later, that he is kind of underestimating what God can do, right? Is that a sin to, 
underestimate what God can do? Is that a sin to see God as small, tiny, unable? Well, there is a something in Zechariah's heart. There's a measure in all of his outward righteousness and outward blamelessness. There's something in Zechariah's heart that the Lord is getting after here. And we see it in his response. There is almost like a tiny little sense maybe of rebellion against God. That, yeah, God, you can say something, but I don't know if I'm really going to respond. Maybe tomorrow I'll respond. But today I'm going to respond with God I'm not so sure. Is there a thing in your own life this Advent whether you feel through the Scripture, through the Word, through prayers with your, your elders here at Blessings that God is saying something to you in your life? <laughs> that something ought to change? Well, you want it to change, but it can't. Here's the answer we see in Zechariah, the kind of answer that is not upheld in Scripture as one that God desires. It's almost like Zechariah in this big moment in his life, the very highest moment, the spiritual pinnacle, all's going so well. The angel speaks to him. And how does Zechariah respond this Advent? He kind of responds on spiritual cruise control, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, it's the angel. Yeah. And I think what Zechariah is going to discover and what God wants us to embrace as well is that when God says he's going to do a thing, he does a thing, that God's timing is totally perfect. And however that may be playing out in your life. And finally, God's plan unfolds in his time. God's plan unfolds in his time. The angel says to him, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So the angel has good news to say to Zechariah. He wants to share good news with this man who's been praying for God's purposes and plans for Israel to unfold. He doesn't have bad news for him. He has good news for him, news from God. (laughs) And it's kind of hard here. What happens? Uh, His response to Zechariah's spiritual cruise control is, hey, and now, until you figure this out, Zechariah, in your heart, you will be silent and you won't be able to speak until until what I say happens, which will come true, says the Lord, at the appointed time. What is the angel saying to Zechariah? He's saying, Zechariah, look, you just be quiet a minute, you just be quiet a minute and watch God work. (laughs) You're not sure of God, whether God can do what he says? <laughs> you just be quiet a minute. You just, you just be silent, Zechariah. Stop talking. And uh, you're not going to be able to talk. We know from verse 62 we can't hear either. <laughs> and you just watch God. You know, in some ways that's an invitation for all of us in Advent to put our eyes on God put our eyes on the way of God, the purposes of God, what God is is doing, what God wants. And Zechariah hears this from God. He becomes, God touches him. He's silent. He cannot speak anymore. All the things he might want to say. Maybe he wants to argue with God. No, it's a season to be silent and listen and wait and pray and hear God. And Zechariah, at the highlight of his spiritual life, walks out of that temple, having burned on the altar of incense, the, the incense going up, 
And he comes out to bless God's people as he's been planning since he was a little boy. I might get that chance to stand out amongst God's people and give the long-awaited blessings from numbers about God's goodness and mercy and faithfulness that is the basis for our lives. And Zechariah stands out there and he goes like this. He goes, as one writer says, what's happening here is that God mars Zechariah in order to first mend him. Well, things go really well for Zechariah and Elizabeth. (laughs) We see as the story goes on, uh, there's an awkward kind of thing at the end where, yeah, uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant uh, five months on. I'm not sure how they communicated with each other. Uh, He couldn't talk. He couldn't hear. So maybe Elizabeth just, you know, one day comes in and it's kind of like this. The next day, you know, can't talk to each other, making hand signals. I don't know how they communicate that. Uh, But it's a bit of a strange household situation for them. Kind of weird. Kind of unexpected. And Zechariah and Elizabeth experience um, an unexpected surprise from God, the grace of God in a way they couldn't have imagined. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, remember this, they wanted a child, but instead they got, a, they got a prophet with camel hair. Did they get what they want? <laughs> they, they, they got it. They got, they got kind of, but they got something according to God's plans. And they learn like we need to learn, I think, like I need to learn, I know I need to learn it, that... Um, Our lives are not set to our own clocks. They're set to God's. Well, God's plan unfolds in ordinary time, in religious time, in heaven's time. But ultimately, this story teaches us that God's plan unfolds in his time, in uh, in his time. And Advent, I think, can be a moment for us to consider... um, how God is calling us in our hearts and our lives, where the plans of God are unfolding in our lives. Um, and I think as, as Christians, and maybe this is new to you this morning and so glad that you're here listening to this, but if you look to Christ today and you would call yourself a Christian, then maybe one of the things we can learn about God's timing and God's plan as we just end this off this morning is something about trust, something about looking to the God who's always right on time, not according to the atomic clock or your watch, but according to his divine time. And it's almost like we need to learn that faith, in a way, is, is like trusting in advance what only makes sense in reverse, as, as one theologian says. Faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. The psalmist seemed to get this. The psalmist seemed to pray this. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 135, God, your name is eternal. In one translation, you will never be out of date. Do you think that God is out of date? Do you think God is out of step with your life? Do you think God is out of step with this world? He's not. He's not. We're the ones who are out of step with God. 
Advent is, is a time for us to really look and see and accept the invitation that God is never out of step. God is never out of sync. God is never out of touch. God is never out of alignment. God is never late. God is never early. God is never irrelevant. God is never unknowing. God is never unable. God is never confused. His timing is perfect. His ways are perfect. Far better than ours. And at Advent, we remember God's timing to lay before us and to bring into this world a Savior who's Christ the Lord, who dies for us at God's appointed time that we might have salvation, hope, life eternal. Can we give thanks to the God who in Jesus makes everything beautiful in his time? Let's pray. Well, Father, we confess this Advent that our lives are often, in the very details of them, out of step with you. We wish to hear the word of Scripture, for our hearts to be turned around. We look to you, God. Will your plans and your ways grow in us as we grow in the way of Jesus? And We pray this in his name. Amen.